Well, praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord. It's good to have you online and in-house. Tonight, we're going to continue our study on who is Jesus. Now, I know many of you have text and Facebooked me in my messenger about this study and how excited you are. And I hope that you will like, share, and I want you to comment tonight. Just an amen when you feel like the Holy Spirit leads you to do so or that the pastor leads you to do so. So uh, I, I think that this is going to be a good night. So like, share, and comment. If you love your pastor, you're going to like, share, and comment. Hey, it's October, Pastor Appreciation. That's all you have to do for me is like, share, and comment on these videos and other videos. Did you know that you're an online missionary, that you are spreading the gospel every time you like, comment, or share? You are spreading the gospel. So help me, help Pineview, help Jesus, help the kingdom. Come on. We need to do this together in Jesus' name. So we're excited what God is going to do for us. So we're going to go to the word of the Lord. Who is Jesus? How many are glad that you personally know who Jesus is? Amen. But we're going to talk a technical uh, in, a, in a biblical, in a historical, in a archaeological, in, in all these different manners. Because we need to answer the question to the world, to our friends, to our neighbors. Brother Dan Tackett baptized a young lady tonight in Jesus' name um, here on Wednesday night. And uh, just got done a minute ago. He's been teaching her a Bible study. And she felt convicted and God moved upon her. And she says, I've got to be baptized and that's because she had a revelation of who Jesus is and what he is in her life. He is her Savior. Amen? Amen. And he's your Savior as well. So like, comment, and share. It helps us out a lot. So let's go to the Word of the Lord. Let's go to the study of who is Jesus. This is part two. So let's get going. What are you saying? So last time we ended on this slide, Jesus is what? A historical figure, truth, right? And a Jewish Messiah that we know was prophesied in the Old Testament. And we're going to talk about the Old Testament tonight. The Son of God, the Lord God himself, the Bible declares he was resurrected from the dead unto newness of life. He is an eternal being. Not only was resurrected to newness of life, he was resurrected to eternal life. Amen. And he is the agent of creation, the head of the church, and the supreme authority in all things in heaven and in earth. All things are under his feet. But we need to know more. So tonight we're going to go to the Old Testament and see Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. This is an important study because if you don't see Jesus in the Old Testament, you'll have a hard time understanding how those prophecies come to place and come to fulfillment and how we see them in the New Testament. So tonight we're going to come in and focus on the Old Testament and Jesus Christ. Christology is Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, my good friend and fellow minister, uh, Brother David Grigsby, is an expert in this area. And I love uh, when I hear him speak and talk. And I wish he was here tonight. He could, he could help me and teach this lesson. Right, Brother Grigsby? Amen. I can't wait to see you soon. But anyway, let's go to John. John chapter 5 and verse 39. This is John, New Testament. This is what it says. Search the scriptures. Is that what we're doing? Amen? Amen. We are searching the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Search the scriptures. They're going to testify of who Jesus Christ is and who he is in your life. So let's go. Jesus in the Old Testament. So while walking on the road to Emmaus, Jesus encounters two men that were talking about what's happening to Jesus 
at, at the crucifixion. In Luke 24 and 25, let's read this. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets, prophets, that's Old Testament, have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? The beginning at Moses, right? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, that's speaking of the Old Testament, he expounded unto them in all, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, concerning Jesus Christ. So here in Luke we see that there is this understanding that it took the prophets and those of the old, the fathers of the beginning, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and all Aaron and all those that were then to witness and to bring about this glorious thing called the birth of Jesus and the crucifixion resurrection as well. So we find in verse 32 of chapter 24, it says, And they said to one another, Did not our hearts, what, burn within us while he talked with us by the way? There was something in the voice and the spirit of God within Christ that made their hearts burn to want to know who he really was and to know what he was all about. And the Bible says, uh, and talk with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the what? The scriptures. The only scriptures Jesus had to open was Old Testament passages. He read in the temple. He was at the temple. He expounded from the Old Testament. I know for a fact, because the word of God speaks of it and states it and, and, and emphatically just, uh, declares it, that with Christ... Uh, the law has been fulfilled. And so we look to the New Testament for our daily living in the modern time under the covenant of grace and mercy. We do know unequivocally that the Old Testament is something that the Jewish people have kept and did keep. And we have been delivered from the law, Paul writes. And the law is no longer in effect for us because Christ came, fulfilled, completed the law. We know that, and uh, we preach that, and believe that, and declare that. But we also know we do not take the Bible and rip it in half and throw away the Old Testament because of that. Just the opposite. Paul instructs us to learn from that Old Testament and that old law that helps us to understand who God is and how he deals with man. Um, we, he says we wouldn't know what sin looks like if it were not for the law. So when we look here, what Jesus is saying um, is that there has to be an understanding that the old prophets, they prophesied. Jesus Christ is in the Bible from Genesis to Revelations, my friends. And you can find him in every book. You can find him in every way throughout the Old Testament. That's how we know it points us to the New Testament. The apostles of John the Baptist, remember... He was a good Jew, and he, he followed the law, and he did many things, declared the, the, that Jesus was coming, and uh, the shoes were not worthy to unlace. But we find in this moment that when the disciples of John were encountered, they, they didn't know there'd be a Holy Ghost, right, since they had believed. And so they obeyed the words of the apostles to be rebaptized or be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because John had said, hey, I'm not the one, look for another. Jesus is the one that's here to deliver us, not me. So he was always pointing them towards Christ. And I want to point you in the same way, just as the Old Testament points us towards Calvary and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's why it's important that you study to know the truth about what the Old Testament says about Christ 
in that Old Testament. So let's keep going. We find that today, because we have the New Testament and the Gospels, we find it fairly easy to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We have those writings, we have those understanding. However, put yourself in the position of the early Jews. We were just talking about this. Put yourself in the position that you only have an Old Testament, right? And you have to live by faith, not by sight. You have to live by faith. So put yourself in those positions as you read and understand what we're talking about. For the next few minutes, imagine that you are taking a walk down the road uh, to Emmaus, like the disciples. Allow the Old Testament scriptures to be open to you about Christ, about Jesus in that. And will you believe as they did? Will you believe? I've often asked uh, many people that I teach Bible studies, could you believe by simply me teaching Christ, the coming Messiah, from the Old Testament alone? And many people pause because they are used to believing from the New Testament. But I can tell you and describe to you and scripturally take you and walk you through that there is unequivocal. I believe in the promise that the Jews held on to, that they still deny today that the Messiah was coming. He came and he bore himself uh, uh, as our sacrifice. So it was in this moment that you have to realize the Old Testament is vital Knowing that Christ is in that Old Testament helps you even further, greater believe the, the Christ in the New Testament. Because it's like the Jews. They, you have to believe as they believed. Isn't that beautiful? That you have to believe. Could you believe, I'm going to ask all of you here and those of online, could you believe in Christ with just the scripture and passages from the prophets in the Old Testament? It's a great challenge, and you should take it. Listen, let's go to Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, we've read this many, many, many times, and it's so good and so true. The Lord, Yahweh, right? Our God, Elohim, which is a word for God, is what? One Lord, right? Yahweh. Um, there is a declaration that there is a one God, right? And we know as it goes on, it will teach us that that one God is, is Jesus Christ. We go on to Isaiah 44 and verse 8. The Bible tells us, and Isaiah writes, Fear ye not, neither be afraid. I have not told thee from that time, and have declared it. Yes. Ye even are my witnesses. Is there a God, that's Elohim, or beside me? Yea, there is no God, right? No God. And that is uh, Tursa Tursa, or uh, the, the, the God that is not Elohim, right? I know not one, or I know not any other God beside me. Someone say there's one God. Amen. Amen. And his name is Jesus. And we learn that from prophetic utterances from Deuteronomy, now in Isaiah. Isaiah 43 and 3 says, For I am the Lord, Yahweh, thy God, Elohim, the, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. The word God here is, is a common word that is Elohim, capitalized. It means the God, right? So Elohim is, is or Yahweh rather, is the, the Lord God, right? So we can see that one holy God of Israel, thy Savior. We go on to Isaiah 43 and 10. He says, Ye are my witness, saith the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen... That ye may what? Know. Everybody say no. No. Write it online. Know and believe me and understand that I am he. Who is he? Right? I am Elohim. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am Jehovah Nisi. I am 
the all in all. I am Christ. I am Jesus, right? So we see him. He says, before me there was no God. Forms, no L, no God. Formed. Neither shall there be after me. Verse 11, I, God speaking, even I am the Lord, Yahweh, and beside me there is what? No Savior. Listen, if you want to be saved to eternal life, you need to know the God of Isaiah 43 and 11. Because this is the God that we find introduced to us later in, in the scriptures uh, as Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's go to Isaiah 9 and 6 and verse 7. It says, For unto us a what child is born, unto us a son, the Son of God, is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful. Is wonderful a name? No. <laughs> wonderful is a title. It is an adjective to describe what it is. Uh, we find a counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. We're talking about the Son here. He's being called the everlasting Father and the what? Prince of Peace. Verse 7 says, And of his increase of his government and peace there shall be what? No end upon the throne of of David. That is a spiritual throne. That is the throne of, of Jerusalem, but it is the throne also of that lineage that whereby Jesus Christ came from the loins of David. We find that lineage coming through and up on his kingdom to order it and to establish it with what? Judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will, will, will perform this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the Yahweh, the Lord of hosts will perform this. So we know that of his increase, there's going to be no end. That he's going to sit on the throne of David. That there's going to be the lineage of David coming through the uh, into in Christ Jesus our Lord into that New Testament. We'll go on. Exodus 25 and verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary. It is written... That I may dwell, what? Among them. So God tells us here that there's a sanctuary. Now, I want to tell you something, that there's a sanctuary. We're here at Piney Church, and there's a sanctuary here. And we uh, gather every Sunday morning at 1035, and we worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in his sanctuary. It's just a building until we get together and declare it as his sanctuary. It's just a room until we invite his presence and worship him, and his presence shows up. Do you hear what I'm saying? And you can have a sanctuary in your living room. You can have a sanctuary in the car. Because it's where he is, there you also can find him. Where two or three are gathered, he's in the midst of them. So, But there's also a different kind of sanctuary that the Bible talks about. And that is that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. That our bodies are a sanctuary, right? So I want you to understand, let them make a sanctuary. Uh, I, I see this not only as a dwelling place, but prophetically as the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. We've got to make room for a sanctuary inside of us. I feel the Holy Ghost. And verse uh, uh, chapter 29, verse 45, And I will dwell among the children of Israel and be their God. If, listen to me carefully as your pastor, if you will make a sanctuary in your heart, God has declared he will be, not maybe, not might, not if you're a good kid, not, no, he will be your God. He will be there for you. He's promised. He cannot void his own word. He must come through. And he said, I will dwell among you. I will. If you'll make a sanctuary that I can dwell in. And that is an important factor, making a sanctuary room for God in our lives. 
In Isaiah 40, we're talking about who is Jesus. Someone shout, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? If you're on the line, type it in. Who is Jesus? The world needs to know who Jesus is. He's not just a historical figure. He's not just a guy on a cross. He's not just in not a paintings. He's not just uh, holed up in Rome at the Catholic Church. No, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's living right here in my heart. He's living right here in my soul because I have invited him and I have created space as a sanctuary of his Holy Spirit. Someone say amen. amen. So the voice of him that crieth, Isaiah writes, in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Yahweh, right? Prepare ye the way of the one that will come, the Messiah that is coming. You've got to prepare. Hear me tonight. If you want to know who Jesus is, you've got to prepare yourself. There's many that will never have the revelation of who Jesus really is because they lack the preparation for his coming. Oh, I feel like God needs me to preach right now. Because so many of us, we call ourselves Christians, and I'm not trying to criticize. I'm simply being a person of fact here that if we're not careful, we will want God without making any preparation for him. God does not dwell in pigsties he does not dwell in places that are full of sin. He dwells in places that are full of grace and mercy. I sin probably every day, but he knows my heart and I stretch and I repent and I try to fall on my face every day because I want to be right with God. I want to do right with God. I want to be righteous, but I can't be that if I knowingly set myself up for being uh, 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 not preparing for Jesus Christ in my life. How's your prayer life? If you're not praying, you're not communicating, you're going to have a hard time preparing. If you haven't heard his voice lately, have you been to an old rugged cross? Have you been to your own prayer room? Have you locked yourself in your room lately and knelt on beside your bed until you stayed there until God's voice came and you allowed him to mend your heart and mold your heart? When's the last time you let this king, this God, this Lord make preparation in your life? He said... He makes straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be what? Lifted up or exalted. And every mountain and every hill shall be what? Be made low. In other words, he's going to level everything out in your life if you'll prepare and make a sanctuary for him in your life. I'm talking about Jesus in the Old Testament. This is We're not even got to the New Testament, the promises of, of what happens at Calvary. This is the promise of the, the coming Messiah. And that promise of coming Messiah is, is still alive today. Every valley shall be made, every valley and every hill and every mountain shall be lowered, and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. Verse 5 says, and the glory of the Lord shall be what? Revealed. If you can't prepare a sanctuary for him to dwell in, you'll never have a revelation of who Jesus really is. He will be the cross or, or, or the, the guy that hangs on a necklace around your neck. He will be the guy that you call on in an emergency room. And those are good things, and I'm glad you're doing that. But that's not all he wants to be in your life. He wants you to have a revelation of who he really is. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The voice then cried, and he said, What shall I cry? And he said, O Zion! that bringeth good tidings. Let thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up and be not afraid. Said unto the cities of Judah, Behold, your God 
It's in this place we learn. In verse 10, Behold, the Lord God <laughs> will come with what? Strong hands, and His arms shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His work before Him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. So many of us, we take this promise for granted, but he promised that no matter what you're going through, he's going to feed you. He's going to carry you. He's going to protect you. He's going to be there for you. I'm talking about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. I'm talking about promises that are alive and well today that are in this great book called the Bible. So we go to Zechariah 12. Listen, Zechariah 12 and 10. I will, and I will pour up on the house of David. There we're talking about the house of David again, the promise of the house of David. And upon its inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of what? Grace and what? Of supplications. Now, I want to stop right there and just let you know that in Zechariah's Old Testament, and he's talking about grace. He's talking about grace that had not been fully released as of yet. He's talking about grace that people did not have full understanding of. He's talking about grace that was coming that would be able to be accessed freely by the blood and the name of Jesus Christ. He's talking about supplication. That word supplication means asking for what you need. And he's saying, you're going to have grace and you're going to have everything you need. There is someone coming. It's of the house of David and it is of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The spirit of grace. The spirit of truth we learn in the New Testament in John. We find, and they shall what look upon me whom they have pierced. This is Jesus speaking this is his uh, voice being prophesied about in Zechariah. Zechariah is speaking of this as if he is Christ. He's saying, And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. That word bitterness is, is a word that describes regret. It's, it's a word that says, uh, I can't go on. It's, it, has, will not leave, it will not leave me. And Zechariah is saying, he's coming with the spirit of grace and supplication. He's coming with something that you wouldn't expect if you pierced him. He's coming with something other than judgment, even though you crucified him. He's coming with something even though there's bitterness for him and the firstborn he's coming with love how many are thankful he came with love amen, amen. so Zechariah later says in 13 and 6 and one shall say unto him talking about Jesus what are these wounds in thy hands then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends uh, this passage has special meaning for me personally. Um, in life, sometimes uh, your greatest and bestest of friends will hurt you the worst and the most. And you, you would never expect it. It comes as a shock. It comes as this tidal wave of emotion and bitterness and, 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 and frustration and anger and can't figure it out. It's chaotic in your mind because you can't imagine that that person would do what they had just done. Imagine Jesus Christ being born as the Messiah of the Jewish people, born in Bethlehem, 
born in the time that Rome was ruling the Israelites with an iron fist. They were slaves. Many of you don't even think about this, but I, I want to emphasize it even tonight. Who was Jesus? He was a part of a slave culture in the Jewish community because the Romans were ruling over them with an iron fist. They were made to work in places they, they never wanted to work. They were a part of a conquered land. They were a part of a conquered people. And Jesus says, I was born to these people. I was prophesied to these people. I was giving my life for these people. And they crucified me. And they spit upon me. And they did awful, horrible things. I was wounded in the house of my friends. His own disciples forsook him. His own disciples did not believe him. His own disciples struggled this whole period of time. They were hiding so that they wouldn't also be crucified. Jesus said, I know, but I was wounded for your transgressions and I was bruised for your iniquity and upon my, with my stripes you are healed. His determination was not dictated by his what forsakenness. You in your life, we feel so forsaken sometimes, right? I don't know about you, but I have felt forsaken many, many times in my life. Even in a room full of people, I've felt alone. You have too. And God wants to come tonight and tell you that he has not forsaken you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll go with you always, even until the end. But there's going to be moments where you're going to face wounds from the house of your friends. Mm -hmm. But you're no better than Jesus, right? He loves you. You love him. Keep that. Keep that. Prepare the way of the Lord. We go on in Isaiah 53, and I've already quoted some of it because it's literally some of the favorite passages on the scripture that were ever written. One of my favorite things is I got to see papyri, uh, for, uh, actually not papyri, but I did get to see papyri at University of Michigan, but I got to see a portion of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it was Isaiah 53 that I got to read, translated uh, in that scroll in the city of Chicago when they were on a display there in Chicago at the Natural History Museum. I went specifically to Chicago. This was you know, maybe 10 years ago, but I'll never forget reading that Isaiah 53, that portion. By the way, word for word, almost a perfect thousands of years, <clears throat> a thousand years between, uh, you know, there's no way those shepherds in bearing those uh, could have known it being written across the continent, but it was identical. That's how God works. And it was beautiful. And I wept. I stood there and wept because it was uh, archaeological proof of what I already knew, you know, but it was beautiful. He who ha who hath believed our report, he writes, Isaiah 53 and 1, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He's asking this. He's asking this of the Jewish people. He's, he's questioning them. Uh, I've been preaching to you. I've been teaching to you. I've been de declaring. I've been prophesying. Who hath believed that report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Does anybody in the Jewish community, are you getting it? Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? Isaiah felt. And for he shall grow up. He was trying to tell them Messiah was coming. He was trying to be as explicit as possible about the fact that there was a king. There was a savior. There was someone that was wounded for their transgressions and bruised for their iniquity. But they would not hear him. They would not respond to him. But he continued to preach anyway. For he shall grow up before as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. 
He hath no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's talking about Jesus Christ and the coming Savior. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We were embarrassed to be a part of him. We were embarrassed that he was our Messiah because he was so common and so comely. So we find, he says, we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We didn't defend him. We didn't come to his aid. Surely he had bore our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God. I want you to hear those words. Smitten of God. Smitten of God and afflicted. His only begotten son And he had to be willing to say, yes, Lord, despite his human feelings, despite everything. Obviously, he had feelings because he was wondering, where are you? I was wounded in my, in my friend's house. What's going on here? Where are you people? Why have you forsaken me? Because his human man nature was human. <laughs> it was desperate for answers. He wanted the cup to pass from him, but nevertheless, not my will, but what thy will be done. And Christ says, <clears throat> you didn't even esteem me. You didn't defend me. You didn't stand up and say, hey, stop that. You didn't do anything. You rather hid from me as if I was a criminal. And I knew I was forsaken of God. Some of the most profound words in the scriptures is the moment that Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he says, why? Have you the essence of the humanness of Jesus is in that moment? Why have you forsaken me? Because he was God did not die that day. There had to be the removal of his spirit from that flesh in order for the body to die and then be reignited with the spirit on resurrection morning. Amen. There was a moment where Jesus questioned why. It has given me peace <clears throat> in my dark times and moments where I I don't understand why 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 cancer why why trouble why issues why why you know, why what why God and I'm reminded that surely he hath bore my grief just because I feel forsaken doesn't mean I am forsaken. He has carried my sorrows, and yet I didn't recognize it. I, I didn't esteem or see him being stricken and smitten, not of me, not of the Romans, but of God. That God said, I've got to, I've got to do this. I've got to forsake you for a moment in, toward, in order for us to redeem mankind for eternity. It's powerful. The Bible says in verse 5 that he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised <clears throat> for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace. That word chastisement is the totality or the, the inclusion of everything that he went through was for our peace. And with his stripes we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his what? 
own way. And the Lord hath laid on himself the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet, here it is, he opened not his mouth. In the life of a preacher, I can only speak from that because that's all I've done all my life. <laughs> In the life of a preacher, there are so many times you want to open your mouth to defend yourself. There are so many times, I'm sure it is with you in your own life, that you've, you have desired to defend yourself because you felt affronted or you felt attacked or you felt... There was a man of God in my life, I'll never forget this, he, he made me write this out. And I was going through some times and I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is terrible. And he said, yeah, it's terrible, but it's nothing that Jesus hasn't already suffered. It's nothing Jesus had. You, you cannot think for a moment that you have suffered like Christ has suffered. And he said, he went through all that and he did not defend himself. And by the way, this was the process of God removing himself. This, this was Jesus Christ having to say, I'm going to go all the way. And yet he opened not his mouth. He didn't speak. They lied against him. He didn't say, you're a liar. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He let man think he was victorious. He let the enemy of his soul think that he had won. Right? He opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb before the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not. It's interesting that the verse 7 here is so emphatic about that he opened not his mouth. And I'll remind you online and in this room that if you don't believe God will be your defender, then you really don't believe that God loves you. It'll take sometimes, this same pastor told me, he said, you know, God grinds slow, but he grinds fine. And sometimes we are so human in our responses. I am, I'll be honest, uh, that we want to say, this is, you know, that's not right, and I'm going to, and this is what I'm going to do, and, and I'm going to go and do this, and et cetera, et cetera. And we got to remember, if, God, if they wronged you, they wronged the God in you. And you got to let God... Be your buckler and your shield and your strong tower in the time of trouble. Mm -hmm. God will, if you put, if you prepare His way, you create a sanctuary in your life. He will, He will make a way where there seems no way. Amen. So we find He opened out His mouth. Verse uh, ten, Isaiah forty-three, ten and eleven. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me. Not just believe, but know and believe me, and understand that I am He. And he says this, before me there was what? No God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. We read this earlier, but I wanted to remind you that Jehovah, God, was prophesied. He is the same as the Jesus that we find in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So do you really understand who the Messiah is? Do you really understand who in the Old Testament who Jesus is and how he was woven through. We can see it and we can believe it and know it because he is an awesome God. Amen. Next week, or the next time I teach, I'm going to go into the third part of who is Jesus. And I want to open this up for, um, and we're live still, so I want to just open this up for, um, I know I have some 
wonderful, amazing people here. Um, it, do you have any questions that you uh, might think even this, the congregation might uh, enjoy um, talking about? Do um, you have any questions tonight? Any comments? Carl, you have no comment about this. Um, you, I don't know if you want to do this. You might want to describe what Jehovah or Yahweh I'm is. I'm going to do that. And what Elohim is to help them understand that this self-existent plurality of majesty who said, I'm by myself. Right. And all that. Yeah, I don't know if you want to do that or not. So I'm going to do that later. Okay. I'm going to get delve into that, the names of God, and, um, and how he identified uh, for us as humans. Uh, our needs defined his, how he was described to us. And his and, and who he was, the I am, um, and how all that took place. I'm going to go through that because I think it, it merits its own study yeah. Yeah. because it's pretty in depth. Uh, if we go into all those uh, names, because it's it is important. You're right with the Carl. It's very important that we understand that so we can extrapolate that into the New Testament and understand um, how that all those names were put into one name, and how all those names were at the cross. We're drawn into, there's only one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Because Jesus was Elohim. He was Jehovah Jireh. He was, he fulfilled all of the names of God in his, uh, in the prophetic. So, um, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's coming. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's a great study. It's a wonderful study. I'm trying to lay some foundation so that, um, uh, you know, people can see that this is not some New Testament. I've heard it in in past times described as this is a New Testament doctrine about Jesus. You know, and they people lack the the understanding or training that Jesus is not a New Testament doctrine. <laughs> it is a whole Bible doctrine. It is the doctrine from the beginning to the end, the land slain for the foundation of the world. And I think that that you have to lay some foundation. And that's what I'm trying to do in this series because I got, I'll be teaching this for a while. Uh, so, but yeah, you want to help me with that? Sure. Oh, I'd love that. I'll tell you what, uh, get some stuff together that you want to uh, bring together or chart it or whatever you want to do. And we're going to do, uh, Brother Carl and I, for those online, you'll enjoy this. We're going to come together and sit at this desk and we're going we're gonna to do it as a banter. We're going to talk about the name. We might get up and shout and dance around the room for a little while, but uh, we're going to have fun. I want to have some fun. So tell a friend, like, share, and comment. I love every one of you. I will see you on Sunday morning at 1035. We are going to have a great time in the Lord. Amen? Amen. God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and give you amazing and blessed peace. Pastor Nate here signing off. I'll see you this weekend. Bye-bye.